Hey, are you looking for a last-minute Christmas gift? Well, I've got just... Well, hang on a second. Before I continue, I just realized... Well, I didn't just realize. I just remembered that podcasts are evergreen. So it's very possible you're listening to this in July. So whatever month you're in, let's just say it's July, substitute the upcoming holiday uh, for Christmas. How about that? So, hey, if you're looking for a last-minute 4th of July gift, I've got just the thing for you. And that's a one-way trip to Juvenile Hall, young man, for playing with those M80s. Are M80s fireworks? I hope they are. Otherwise, the joke just doesn't land. Anyway, if you're looking for a last-minute Christmas gift, I've got just the thing for you. It's my new book, The Adventure Teen All-Stars. It's perfect for your last-minute holiday needs. Why? Well, because it's a short book. And it'll fit perfectly right inside of a Christmas stocking. As a matter of fact, it's almost like the two things were made for each other. Hang on a second. My producer Jessica is shaking her head. What? Yeah, well, you don't think it would fit inside of a... No? Not even close? Wow, I'm really out of touch with the size of Christmas stockings. Okay, apparently my book will not fit inside of a Christmas stocking, but it will fit perfectly inside an eight and a half by five and a half box. You know the ones I'm talking about. They're all over your house. They're under your bed. They're in the closet. You're wondering what to do with them. Well, here now you have an answer. This is perfect for your last minute holiday needs. Buy my book, put it in those boxes and give them to everyone that you love in your life. Where can you get my book? Anywhere that sells books, except for maybe airports. I got to check on that. I don't know. I'm guessing no, but maybe, but I don't think so. But it's possible, but I'm going to say no for now, but we'll work on that. Anyway, there you go. A perfect last minute gift idea. If it's too late and you can't quite pull it off, give it to the people that you love in your life for the 4th of July. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. The Music of Small Isles, a band which features my guest today on the program, Jim Fairchild. Let me tell you a little bit about Small Isles and Jim Fairchild. In 1995, the Modesto-raised Jim Fairchild became the lead guitar player for the indie rock outfit Granddaddy. Now, that would be enough to make a resume shimmer, but Fairchild was just getting started. He was a touring guitar player for Giant Sand. He worked with everyone from Hawaii to Dappled Cities. And he took over for Johnny Marr in Modest Mouse in 2009 and played lead guitar for them until 2021. 
And guess what? That's still not all. Fairchild fronted the band All Smiles. He was selected to lead a project at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art in 2010. And in 2020, he started a new project called Grace Meridian. But that's still not all. Fairchild currently is the director of A&R for Danger Bird Records, and he's scoring films like the documentaries Common Ground and Be the Change, which is narrated by Ellie Goulding. And we haven't even talked about Small Isles yet. Their new EP, Everything on Memory, has been described by Fairchild as written as the imagined score to a Christopher Nolan-directed movie I dreamt about in which Donald and Stephen Glover wrote a script in response to Modest Mouse's Third Planet. Good God, my dreams compared to Jim Fairchild's? They're boring. His are really cool. To my ears, Small Isle's new release is a moody blend of spellbinding cinemascapes, arching crescendos, soaring distant melodies, and futuristic percussion, all of which adds up to one of the most spellbinding releases of the year. And this conversation? Well, easily one of the coolest I've had all year. Jim Fairchild, class act, top guy, very friendly, very nice. Enjoy. Here we go. Me and Jim Fairchild of Small Isles, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. pretty good i'm in my friend uh one of my friends gabe and Catherine's house here in ojai where i live and we're discussing a video that we're going to make for a song of the small isles ep called people come down how's that going i mean surely you must have some ideas in your head of what you want to look like i have ideas about it but i like i don't like to be precious about that sort of stuff unless i have a very defined idea um like there was a there was a small Isles video for Life at One that I had a very defined idea mm. for, but then the you know the dude who did it the animation he even expanded that so much. In this particular case, I'm just letting my friend Gabe know kind of what is in my head when I think about the song and when I think about what I was going through when I was making it and what my objectives are for the project in general. And Gabe's a cinematographer, so I trust him a lot, and so we're just kind of riffing about it. You know, that also describes the feeling of being in a band where somebody has an idea and they have to communicate it to a group of people who then interpret it and then refine it. Or, And I always wonder if it's, um, if it's close to what the concept was or if it always improves on it. I, who knows? I mean, I don't know. Like, every band is different, you know, for sure. Um, like, Modest Mouse functions a lot differently than Granddaddy functions, for example. Um, they both have like real firm bosses, but the approach of each boss is very, very different. Is a, a band a democracy or not always? Not the bands that I've been in. I mean, it's interesting because like, I understand this a lot better now of kind of running small aisles. Um, I don't know how important it is for everybody to get an equal vote, you know, like, um, which is so taking granddaddy as an example like jason writes all that music so he and i talk 
you know, historically when the when the band was sort of in its um, public prime, a lot of those decisions were made with he and I talking about it collaboratively, with Aaron involved with those sometimes. But there was always this thing that I couldn't understand until I was kind of running a project on my own, which is like, he dreamt all this shit up. So there's a there's a subjective nature to the existence of the band that I couldn't ever possibly totally touch down on. It's the same with Modest Mouse, you know, like Isaac is more of a, and this is not a knock on on Jason. Isaac is a lot more of a collaborative songwriter. He's a little more of like, he's one of the best songwriters I ever know. So I want to say that I've ever known. So I want to say that to start with, but he's also kind of more of a magpie. So he like, he's surveying the landscape in a way. I picture it like from above and then it's like, oh, Tom, that's a good idea. Let's, I know how to turn that into a song. Something that Tom maybe didn't even think was an idea or with me or something like that. Um, but it's still like, he's the person who's being represented or maybe he's not the person that's being represented in terms of like the, the lyrical narrative, but it's from his perspective, almost invariably. Um, and so there's a way in which I don't think it's that important for it to be a democracy, you know, like I, I had, I have a lot of agency in granddaddy and I had, you know, some, some agency in modest mouse, but, but I always knew that it was Isaac's band. Yeah. I think sometimes a band's default to too much of a democracy, a band like Pearl Jam comes to mind where it seems like, Hey, everybody should write songs. And it's like, well, maybe everybody shouldn't write the songs. I mean, not a knock on Pearl Jam because I, I think they're great, but I do think they're a different band because I think they defaulted almost to too much of a democracy where there is no unique vision. It's almost like a bunch of different voices that are um, combining in a kind of uh, mosaic in the end of it. So there's no unifying feel to the stuff anymore to me. To my yeah, opinion. I mean, I, th I think that's that's a good example. I, they're, they're a band who I respect tremendously, but yeah, but um, and still do, but I honestly haven't listened to them very much since the very early days. I was a, I was really into them really early on because I was a Mother Love Bone fan before that. So I mm -hmm. was naturally drawn to what Jeff and Stone were going to do. And I still think, you know, I revere Pearl Jam, but I'm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think having a vision is important, you know, but it's it's tricky also because like. It's bands are such unique things, I mean, having spent as much time as I did in Modest Mouse, like it's Isaac's band, but without someone like Dan Gallucci or me or Tom Peloso or Johnny Marr or Eric Judy, certainly um, all these different people who have added to this mosaic of what Modest Mouse is, it still somehow always gets funneled through Isaac's uh, central filter or something like that. And I think that's massively important. I think that's that's why this is not meant to be any sort of implicit knock on other bands, but like, um, I think that is essential to the sort of, you know, uniformly high quality of what Modest Mouse has done. I mean, I know that people, there's people who only like those first three records or whatever, but I think the record that they did with Johnny was fantastic. I, the record that I was most directly involved with writing was called Strangers to Ourselves. 
Like, I think there are so many great songs on that in the last record, which I didn't have as much to do with, but there's, there are so many great songs on there. So I think it's very important that, um, though Isaac is like, you know, collecting all of these different voices that he's then synthesizing them into something which is uniquely his own, you know, and he's also, you know, there's the stuff that's like very punk rock. There's the kind of pretty acoustic stuff. There's the very like weird outside kind of talking heads adjacent or almost like gang of four, but like, because he's interested in all those different types of music and because it's all filtered ultimately through his perspective, I think you do get a greater like uniform sense of a high bar of quality. You know, his, he, it hasn't really in my, from my perspective with a very deep, uh, deeply intimate relationship of their catalog. It's, it's very important that that, that exists in that world. There almost needs to be an artistic figurehead or quarterback um, in a band. Yeah, I, that, I I totally think that completely. But but at the same time, like the graceful adoption of multiple perspectives is also like that can that can only strengthen things if it's done right. So yeah, I think ultimately what what breaks a band up is probably a communication problem more than anything else. Oh, absolutely. For you with Small Isles, I mean, if you had done this at 24 versus now, um, I mean, it's hard to put you in a time machine and say, what would you have been like? But I, I do. But do you think you're more receptive now to taking a note, hearing feedback? I just couldn't have done it. It's, it's as simple as that. I mean, I learned a lot watching Isaac and the way that he operates that thing where it's like, I know what I want this to be, but I also want to be receptive to people like my friend Jacob, who uh, helped me make these most the EP that's going to come out next week and the one that we released earlier this year. My friend Sienna, who's played strings on a bunch of the stuff, but also like we did our first live show, um, I guess about a month ago now, and there were ten people on stage, and um, most of them I had never met in person before that, um, and I was, it really made me think you know, about what the possibilities would be of me coming up with the framework for a new collection of music and then, and then bringing people in and going like, basically like, how do you respond to this? You know, and, and so communication is one thing. Communicating with people like, I don't know if this is going to get used or not, but let's, let's see what happens. And then also communicating clearly like um, the objective of like, I'm still going to, be the the organizer of all of this but you know i i also really love the kind of cold play or u2 example where it's like you just pay people so if people chip in a little bit of uh material advice whatever then they get paid for it forever you know like <laughs> seems fair because i they also think that sometimes people you know like venerate the the sort of figurehead too much as well so it's like uh the fit i think the figurehead or the or, or the hub or whatever is is super important but without that surrounding ecosystem a lot of times that that figurehead's gonna gonna dry up and topple so it's like you know integrating 
multiple perspectives and voices as appropriate, necessary, whatever um, is is critical, you know, because that's how ecosystems work, right? Like, you know, the the big tree, the big. I mean, I'm staring at a big oak tree right here, but like, it's it's big and grand, but it's without all the like squirrel shit and mycelium and all these invisible attributes and position to the sun and all these different advantages visible and invisible that that oak tree is not as grand you know i think creatively if you're noticing people around you are leaving or angry or you know unhappy all the time then that's a good indication that the ecosystem that you have that you thought you were dwelling in is is in peril yeah that's i think that's right it's also you know sometimes people want more than you can give them to so you mean in terms of there's a limit there may or may not be a limit but you know um i've also seen it happen where it's like uh you know oh i contributed you know a fraction of this one thing now i want half of everything it's like well you didn't earn half of everything so you also don't get that right but i'll get, i'll i'll overcompensate you for the fraction but i'm not going to give you half of everything that also probably informs what you do financially as well right the when you when things get parted off, when responsibilities get delegated, your approach to it financially is something you probably wouldn't have thought about at 24. When getting back to what you were saying, how you couldn't have done it. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't. I certainly didn't know enough about the the business at that point. You know, when Granddaddy was, I mean, we got signed when I was, I don't know, young, 21 or 22. Um, and I do A and R at Dangerbird, and that's one of the things that I. That's one of the, um, like fundamental goals that i have with the younger artists that were well with anybody really because a lot of people don't know about this business even if they've been in it for a long time but especially with younger people it's like here's how you get paid here are all the ways you can do it you know here are ways that i've discovered um could be like beneficial over time for everyone that you're collaborating with and that's these might be good ways to integrate that those uh rewards collectively so that you have longevity the young bands are they receptive to that kind of advice i mean they seem to be yeah you know it's also overwhelming so like um it's such a it's such an opaque business you know <laughs> so yeah. like i think you i can give them the all the primers but until you've kind of lived some of it you you kind of need that empirical lived in <laughs> wisdom you also need to make mistakes right it's almost like like dating you don't marry the first person you date i mean you yeah that's, yeah, that's right right i mean yeah. maybe some people do but i don't i don't like your chances if that happens because it feels to me like you're going to be learning the learning curve is too steep at that point so yeah i think that's right in terms of your creativity um do you feel that there that you're sort of right now the way you approach creativity the way you approach um your art has changed or refined over the years like you're more economical in your approach um in, in other words do you do you know when an idea that you're following is like oh this one is not one i should follow i need to abandon the ship on this one or do you always just follow it to the end and see what happens i don't know if i always follow it to the end but i think i'd a couple of things like i just know that for me everybody's different but for me i just i need to show up 
this is this has been said forever but i just got i got to be in the studio like i'm i dropped my son off you know at nine or a little before nine i'm in my studio by nine um my wife does pick up and i'm pretty much there until four like monday through friday wow that's that was a big part of me not choosing to leave modest mouse as well as like um and again this is not a knock it's just something that i want to do this like i want to be in that zone basically if my son's in school i want to be making music that's a part of it then also i just think that my antenna have sharpened you know more hopefully they continue to get sharper i feel more creative now and more and more like productive now than i have ever part of that is just because i think that i have a better um sense of like this is going to work or that's not going to work because i'm scoring stuff now so um like right now i'm working on a movie and a tv show and starting to think about the small aisles uh i have two releases that i'm planning for next year and starting to write for that stuff um and i just think that i have a sharper sense of like okay that's that's worth doing and that probably just comes from you know having having a lot of projects going for me is also or a manageable number of projects is is really beneficial creatively because it's like well i'm kind of hitting a wall here let's move over to this for the rest of the day and i even build that into the structure of my days now where it's like you know the danger bird stuff is going to occupy these specific um blocks of time and then you know the tv show is going to be whatever i'm just it varies but i but i set a schedule now at the beginning of the day so it's like the tv show is going to go from 10 30 to 12 30. i'm going to go for a walk and lunch from 12 30 to 1 15 from 1 15 to 3 i'm going to work on the movie and so just being able to and then you know like tomorrow will be you know i'm going to block out two hours for small aisles those sorts of things and i find that back to the ecosystem thing like having that sort of varied ecosystem kind of makes it easier to continue to uh be generative in those environments you know to to be productive and be excited about it it's still you know it's got to be fun it's not all about like it is work but the, you know we're really lucky that we that work can be super fun and i i i like am more mystified by and more in love with music now than I was when I was, you know, 20, 21, which is saying a lot. That's a discipline that would make any parent proud, right? Like, <laughs> I imagine your parents, if they'd heard you at 21 saying, one day I'm going to be approached. It's a very business-like mind to approach what you're doing. And it's also probably in terms of self-preservation, it's probably really smart to do it that way. Um, are you surprised that you have, um, I mean, it almost turned turned it into like a nine to five, right? The way you're creating, that you've created this space for yourself. It's almost like you've sort of accidentally, <laughs> I didn't do a full-time job, is-, is I that accidentally turned into my dad, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I, I read this book about the fall and they were talking about how Marky e. Smith used to always wear like a tie and stuff. 
And it was like, cause he was from like working class Manchester. Like when you went to work, you just, you put on work clothes. Um, is there a discipline that, that was modeled in your house that like, that actually, so it, this isn't maybe that much of a surprise that this is the direction you've gone? Yeah, for sure. I mean, my, like my dad, you know, he, he worked forever a company called international paper i think it's the biggest you know paper company in the world which is that's got its that's got its challenges um environmentally but anyway he's he's a great dude he's a great example but you know i for a long time i also um he was always at work and i think that i kind of resented that if i'm being honest so I felt like I was kind of allergic to that. What I didn't realize is that there was a, there was a hybrid approach. I only realized this in the last few years since my son has been here basically, but like, Oh, maybe there's something. Cause I thought, so, so I thought that that approach was antithetical to like the freedom of creative work. I didn't know that like, you know, if I could figure out a way to integrate some of that approach into creative work that it would make me more creative and happier than, you know, because for a long time, I mean, Natasha, my wife, um, she's a visual artist and we had studios together in San Francisco. We had studios together in New York. This is like starting in 2010 or something, you know? Um, and then studios in New York, we had studios in LA. Now we live in Ojai. Um, for a long time, I would be like, "Oh, I'm gonna go to the I'm gonna go to the studio and shit. Nothing's happening." And what I'd wind up doing is just like, you know, fucking reading the internet for three hours or just like pissing away time. And now I don't do that. I just like, I the internet barely works in my studio, and that's totally fine because I'm just like going. You know, I, I have, I have stuff to do and there are these like riddles that I have to solve. I like solving riddles, you know, when you are done and you go home and work days over and you're hanging out with your son, can you segment it or can you, can you sort is that there's that dichotomy where you can actually turn off the creative brain and not think about that stuff or does it filter its way through and do how do you manage that? I mean, it's easier now that I, that it's kind of more siloed. I think before I was just like always obsessing over it because I didn't know the answer. And now it's just like, I'm, you know, I'm gonna be able to return to it tomorrow. I think it's more of that. I mean, there's there's still like, there's, to be honest, there's probably very seldom times where like music is not tumbling around in my head in some way, you know? Um, and sometimes like I'm taking our son to school and I'll, I'll go like, oh, I gotta listen to these mixes that I was, the end of day mixes from yesterday and because he always wants to listen to something else and he's like you just you just listen to sounds you know it's just it's not music um but <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's always kind of there but it's but it's definitely easier now to to just kind of like i'm just gonna play legos with this dude i don't think that would have been as easy it wouldn't have been as easy like 10 years ago because there was always some outstanding thing that i had to do and I think that came from just not being as disciplined about it as I am now. Is he your first child? Yeah, first and only one. It's interesting because you also wonder, like, you know, had you had a child at 24, it's like, how would you have juggled all these things? There, There is, what I'm getting at in this interview is that there is a kind of beauty to getting older, because I think that we, 
tend to calm down a little bit. We're not ruled as much by, um, you know, we're not as frantic. I think that's probably connected to libido in some way. I don't know. I've I've discovered a lot of value in in getting older for myself. But you know, like I got lucky straight up. Like I I was able to quit drinking, and I didn't die a bunch of times when I should have. And and um, so you know, I I got lucky, and I was able to continue making music. I mean, I, there's just so many things that that lined up for me to be able to have this perspective that I have now.
through the years, you've lost some friends um, to addiction, and you've also seen people that you didn't know in the business um, also die because of addiction. And survival in many ways feels arbitrary and like it's a certain amount of luck. But here you are, you're married to the artist Natasha Wheat, you have a son, you're busy, life is good. That must give you some perspective. I know I'm very, very aware of and am am grateful for the luck which allowed me to have a kid and find Natasha. Because like it just it in so many ways it shouldn't happen, you know. Like we like a lot of people in this line of work, like us and granddaddy, we we lost like a lot of friends. A lot. So, you know, there and then I also that's something that I think about in this I, I did this collaboration with my friend Coley. We put out one EP called All Day I Dream About, and it was under his name Coley, but we co-wrote and co-produced this EP of wonderful, like very pop adjacent music. Some of the music that I'm most proud of that I've ever made. He just, he's not here anymore. He like, he, um, there was a head on collision. He moved back to Wisconsin and, and, um, you know, just it, he passed away in a tragic car accident way younger than me. Um, and so there's, I'm also thinking about those, the energy that wasn't allowed to exist anymore and, and trying to like honor those those lives that are not here anymore. I think about that kind of a lot, you know? Was there a, like a moment where you went, oh, I got to change my life? Or was it sort of a cumulative, gradual? It was definitely more cumulative. I mean, I wanted to quit drinking for a long, long time. I had, I had stopped like doing, you know, any sort of drugs long before, but I was still drinking and I didn't feel good about it forever. But I kind of always thought that there was, you know, it's, let's just say that, it, I mean, I, you know, I'd probably drink, certainly on tour, I would drink, you know, six or seven nights a week. Like even on nights off, it'd be go out and have a few with, with my friends or whatever. But anyway, so let's just say that out of those six or seven nights, there'd be like one that was really fun. And, uh, and then the other, four to five to six were not fun it, i'd feel anywhere between like this ambivalent malaise to like just shitty even though i wasn't even really getting that drunk anymore you kind of when you're in that space i think the tendency is to think that you're still going to be able to the odds are going to be that like somehow you're going to go back to that spot when you were 14 where it's always fun or whatever and for me and i think for actually with most people it just doesn't it doesn't materialize that way it's not it's not fun anymore takes a long time to admit that to yourself but for me the way that i got out of it was that um i didn't tell anybody about it but um modest mouse had exactly the calendar month off of it was in 2016 so that all of may we played a show on april 30th and then all of may of 2016 we were off and then on the 31st we were flying to texas to practice for uh, one show and then and then a longer run that was going to start at the end of june so I was like, I didn't tell anybody about it. I was just like, I'm going to take the longest I've ever taken off basically in my adult life a month. So I remember having like my last beer in, in Memphis after the show at this Beale Street Music Festival. And then I was actually going to cheat. And so on the way to flying to Austin for rehearsals, I texted on the 31st, I texted um, my friends, Abe and Trevor, who were my, Abe was out with Granddaddy Forever and was out with Modest Mouse as well. He's their stage manager. Um, our friend from the Central Valley and Trevor was my guitar tech and Modest Mouse, a very close friend of mine. Text them and I said, Hey, I'm gonna get beers, you guys. 
meet me in my room. I'll text you the room number when I, when I land. So I did that. I went and got beers and Trevor came to my room first and I pulled two beers out of the fridge, opened one for him, was about to open the second one. And in my head, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take, if I can not drink until the tour actually starts, which is, which was in a few weeks, then that would be by far the longest I've taken off since I was 14. Then I'll really have earned a beer. So I didn't have a beer with Trevor. And then when the tour started a few weeks later, I was just like, fuck, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never having another drink. <laughs> um, so it just, it was like a switch. It's not, it definitely wasn't easy because it was, it was years of me going like, oh, I need to stop. I need to stop. I need to stop. But in some sense, it was easier than it is for a lot of people. Like I didn't, I didn't like have a bunch of bouts with relapse. There were times where I was like, I should have a beer again. And I just haven't done it. And that was almost eight years ago. And I feel really so lucky, but I was just done. I was, it was completely a part of my life for 27 years. And then it was just like, fuck this. I don't ever want to have that feeling again. Did that demonstrate to you a inner strength that you didn't know was there? I don't know, man. I mean, maybe a little bit. Uh, again, I think I just kind of got lucky. There's other things in my life that have demonstrated an inner strength. You know, like I started running a little more seriously in the last couple of years. Last year, I ran a, a half trail marathon and then a half or a half trail marathon and then a full trail marathon. Those definitely, those things demonstrated to me that like, oh, you can do things that you didn't imagine you could do. Um, I mean, maybe in some way, like over time, that's the way that not drinking played out. Um, just because like for a long time, I told myself, oh, I'm always going to be a little bit of a drinker. I'm always going to have that ability to dabble. Um, and I'm always going to give myself that, that leeway. And then realizing that I was capable of not doing that. Um, I think, yeah, that I'm sure that there was some, but there's been, there have been other things in my life, which demonstrated strength more than that. You have sort of, to me, what I think is the ideal setup for an artist, which is you have an artistic house. Um, I mean, your life would be different if your wife sold real estate, you know, mm -hmm. but you know, she doesn't, she's an artist. And I feel like the people I've interviewed, uh, Michael McDermott and um, the singer songwriter, his wife, Heather Horton come to mind where it's like two artists, one house. Right. And it feels yeah. to me that feels like a really good environment for a creative person um, because the language of creativity is a very specific one. Um, how, how is that for you having an artistic person in that, in the house all the time? That must be, I would think that's super cool and very helpful. Yeah. I mean, there, I, I guess that there's like a, an intrinsic language or even way of being that we can kind of draw from, you know, it's, it's there, but also these are challenges that Natasha and I have had to overcome because we, until our son came along, like we had no structure at all. Like if, if I was on tour, that was, I mean, she was in school for a while, but like she went to art school. So it was kind of, you know, pretty flexi schedule. She went to school at the Art Institute of Chicago. And then um, she went to CCA in San Francisco for her master's degree. Um, so I would say that it's definitely had its benefits, but it's also in the last number of years, it's been challenging just because we've had to figure out like 
because I don't, you know, I, our son needs to know that like things that I, what, that, that it took me a long time to discover, which is that, you know, a healthy amount of structure can really be generative for a great mind. Not that, I'm not saying that I have a great mind, but I want him to have one, but we never had any structure. Natasha and I would just like do whatever, you know, we got stuff done. She did amazing projects, you know, over long terms for museums and for school and for like people buying collections of stuff, you know, like, and I would finish records and tours and stuff, but mostly we just did whatever we wanted. We just, it was, and so we can't do that now that he's in school. And so like figuring out how to exist as creative people within, you know, sort of the, um, the, the boundaries and, and of the capitalist structure, you know, like that's essentially what school is. Um, that, that, that was, I think we're getting, I think we have a better handle on it now than we did a few years ago, but you know, that was, that was challenging for us. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the creative urge, I'm a writer and to me, the dream setup is writing at three in the morning while listening to the first Bauhaus album or something, you know, with that, that seems perfect to me. Um, but I also realized that, you know, at 53 with, you know, a class waiting for me at a, in a lecture hall at eight in the morning, like that's not a practical or smart thing to do. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I did try to do that. And I, I was a wreck and I, and I finally went like, you know, this isn't productive. So I think that the artistic urge is to stay up late. So have you also structured your, your sleep schedule to, to also reflect a more, um, a more orderly approach to life? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've always been a little bit of a, more of an early to bed, probably more than most of my cohort, really. Natasha, is, like, definitely wants to stay up later than me. Um, that's just part of her nature. She's more of a late person. I mean, in Modest Mouse, you know, I was definitely, like, the first one in bed on the bus every night, just because I, that's just a little bit more of my nature. Um, Wired that way. I'm definitely more wired that way. And our son is more wired that way. So um, I kind of take the morning shift, you know what I mean? And let Natasha get an extra half hour of sleep because it's just, you know, and then she's, she's got more energy at night and and I have more energy in the morning. Like that, that if I can't always do it, but what I want to do, we live on a mountain here in Ohio. And what I want to do is, you know, be out the door at like first light and running around up on the mountain. I'm often like getting home as the sun is coming up. You know, everybody's different. I mean, Isaac's another example from Modest Mouse. Like he's, he definitely has, I think, more creative energy like at night. Just, it's how he's wired. I'm from Concord originally. Mm -hmm. And um, like you were saying, you grew up, you grew up in, in Modesto, right? It's the- Yep, yep. I mean, the the cool music, you had to, you had to fight to find it. I mean, you had to really like work a little bit. And I always wondered like, how did people know about XTC? You know, I worked at the radio station, so I had a little bit of an inside track, but um, there was always that the group of people who knew about the Minutemen and knew about the Misfits and there wasn't a newsletter. And, you know, like how did people find out about stuff? But how did you, in terms of getting your creative brain set on fire and blown apart and all the bells ringing in the right way, how did you seek that stuff out and how did, and what were the things that were making you super excited about, about music? 
I mean, the conduit was skateboarding almost. Yeah. You know, that that's granddaddy exists because of skateboarding, basically, you know, um, that's one part of it. Um, so, you know, like Thrasher and, and, you know, even trans world a little bit, like those were good connections. I mean, you know, I had, I started playing in a band when I was 13 about my first record when I was four. Um, and so, you know, we started getting into like, there was BAM, which was a Bay Area music paper. Sure. Um, we, me and my friends, Jamie Durr, John Yaloa, John Garner, all these guys, we would, Mark Haney, we would go to San Francisco. Like it started at, maybe we'd go see like Metallica and then we started getting these zines and we were, we were just in San Francisco all the time or Oakland or Berkeley or whatever. We were always at the Omni, always at the stone. Um, and we scooped, we got really into like the metal thrash scene, like skate punk adjacent scene, but really into like barrier thrash, like violence, death angels simultaneous to that I was super into like U2 and REM, which was not, my friends were not as into that stuff and i really love public enemy and nwa and um but you know like i i would just always make i was i had a paper route and then i got a job when i was 16 and that's what i spent my money on so i would just like we would go to amoeba or rasputin's or um whatever once every few weeks and i was just like oh this is like this i would talk to the staff and you know and then we would see these bands open for other bands. That's, but we were just, we were always engaged with it. And then once granddaddy started touring, you know, then you're afforded the luxury of people recommending stuff to you all the time. And also record labels, you'd go, Oh, SST. Oh, 4AD. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Right. Yep. Um, Death Angel um, went to my high school. They, oh, really? Yeah. That's crazy. They grew up in my development. We, I used to see them playing basketball. And... Oh, wow. Yeah. I saw them play many, many times in that, in that world, violence was my favorite record. I mean, on the eternal nightmare tour or during that, it, they, they only really did one tour for that record, I think, but during the time between eternal nightmare being released and oppressing the masses, which was their second record, I bet I saw them at least 20 times, like every time they played in the Bay Area, all every single time. They were great. Yeah. It's interesting. The, the sort of the metal, skateboarding past and then pulling that through line and ending up with small aisles is really it's interesting yeah i mean I, I was always also super into scores i mean i was buying scores when i was like i don't know probably started buying scores when i was 15 or something really <laughs> yeah so i've always been like ingesting that music and thinking about how that music is arranged and yeah i mean all of i I don't know the way, not that I'm, I'm some pioneer like ahead of my time, but the way that I thought about music is way back then was more of an exception. It's how every kid thinks about music now. It's like, you know, you like some Taylor Swift, you like some Vince Staples, do you like some Hunter Gex, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's fine. You can just like everything, you know? So, and, but that's still the case. Like, you know, the, opening cue to Edward Scissorhands and the title track of Seasons in the Abyss and like North North by Vince Staples. Like those, none of those, I mean, I know what the differences are. I can break them down for you like theoretically and, and mechanically and structurally, 
but those songs don't feel different to me they all i'm i love i'm in, as in love with all of those songs as as any of you know as as each of them you know and i think it's all just music to me if it registers as joy then it registers as joy who cares what it is yeah joy wonder like that that sort of state of something that you know i don't know someplace that is familiar and unfamiliar at the same time i guess I always found George Michael's Freedom 90 as thrilling as the Misfits' uh, American Nightmare. It, it 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 does the same thing to my brain. Yeah, I mean that's 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 right, you know. Where Eagles Dare is or Last Caress, you know, those oh My god. Again, those are those don't feel that much different than like Elliot's Between the Bars, you know. I have the same sensation that courses through my body. When you hear music, do you is there a certain forensic muscle that kicks in where I guess what I'm really asking is, can you be a fan first and then the forensic guy later or, or do both those gears start yeah, moving at the same so, time? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, as you get old or but when you've been doing it for long enough, I guess those distinctions start to become one in the same, but you know, um, there's, there's still often times where I'll, I'll get like so obsessed with, um a song like it happened a while back where like there's this john prine song onomatopoeia that i probably listened to 70 times over the course of like a week and you know it's it's just a very simple song it's like one four five but like it doesn't matter it's just like why did he do all that shit and the guitars and the way that the lyrics are interacting with the guitars and you know just i know what everything was happening but i don't i'm not engaged with it on at those moments where i'm like oh you know the, the, he's playing that scale with like a you know flat five or whatever <laughs> that shit is not what does your son listen to i don't know how old he is but what is his what is his choice of... he i mean he mostly wants to listen to theme songs to shows that he's watching he likes he likes little wayne we listen to we listen to the song called stunting like my daddy a lot which is the clean version of you know um it's him and baby you know it's wayne and baby um who's the who founded cash money um he likes that he's been listening to it like a lot of jay-z we've been really getting him into jay-z like he he likes uh hard knock life he likes empire state of mind um money ain't a thing you know like <laughs> so because just a few weeks ago he made this big proclamation as he was getting in the shower one night he's like He's like, uh, you know, I don't listen to rap because it's not catchy. And so Natasha and I just started like, like, not catchy. Check all this shit out. And now he's he's really into Jay-Z. Looking at the future, what is the vision for Small Isles? It's imagined scores for imaginary films. So I have the next two imagined imaginary films in my head that I'm starting to score now. Um, I do want to do some shows. I, you know, we played live last month and there was a small string section and a little choir and there were my friends, Matt Costa and Joel Graves and Keith Carmen. And uh, they were all up there playing guitars and we had a piano player and um, I, I would like to, you know, turn it into something where it's like I could go out and play 20 shows a year and have like a real string section, a choir, you know, a big band. Yeah. Like, um, And I want, you know, I just want to, continue making music that basically like 
the way that I want people to receive the music is that I don't want it to be narrative. I don't want that. I don't want to tell people what they're supposed to think. I want it to be implication rather than explication. So it's like, if it's imagined scores for imaginary films, you can drop yourself into whatever movie you want, whatever movie you see when you listen to these recordings. The music as a result becomes, that's a great approach because it feels like everyone's invited. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Matt was on the show. Matt's a good dude. Costa? Yeah, he's he's amazing. And he's he's a great musician, great singer, great guitar player, great, great skateboarder. And that's one of my favorites. <laughs> Are the, the granddaddy guys all, everybody's in touch and friendly and happy and everybody's good? Yeah, I mean, Kevin passed away in 2017. So, you know, we're, we're down one person. But uh, yeah, I mean, Jason and I are in touch all the time. I don't talk to Tim and Aaron as as much, not for any specific reason. It's just like, you know, they both have young sons as well. And we're just, Jason and I talk, we talk very regularly about all the stuff that's ongoing with Granddaddy, all these different things that are happening in the foreground and the background. Um, but yeah, we're all, I think there's a chance we'll go out and play some shows in the next couple of years. So the new song is great. Yeah. Jason did a great jo- job on that record. It's beautiful. So, um, so there might be some uh, shows and then, um, so small Isles is something that you see continuing on. It's this, it's this sort of, this sort of thing that will just keep moving into the future and developing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I want, I want everything that I learned from scoring that I take from um scoring i want that to be able to bleed back into what i make for small aisles you know that's that's the one of the objectives there so like i'm always learning new things while i'm scoring this these movies and tv shows and then to have that be able to fold back into you know what small aisles is as a recorded entity and then eventually a live entity is super important to me what makes me really happy here is that there's work you know, like I hear so many things about how hard it is to be a musician and a creative person in 2023. Um, it just makes me so happy to hear that, you know, you're doing TV, you're doing, you're scoring, you're busy, you're working. And um, that should give a lot of hope to to a lot of young musicians. It, it took me a long time to get there. And what, if I could, you know, try to give anybody any advice, that advice would be something like, um, it's, it's kind of an oversimplification, but like follow your dreams. So if you're, if you're dreaming about something, whatever that idea is, figure out a way to start down that road. You know what I mean? Cause if you start down that road, um, that's, it's usually the hardest step, right? And then you're going to, you're at least moving toward finishing something. So it's like, you know, do that band, do those other bands, you know, make that one weird acoustic record, you know, that sounds <laughs> Jeff Mangum or whatever it is, but just, just do the stuff. Don't, don't think about doing the stuff, do it. You know, cause, uh, and I think that there's an attraction that occurs um, in, in those processes. Right. So like if you're throwing the stuff out there, if you're, if you're, there's an energy, right? That that is bound to. I don't know. It's like I, there's, you know, books written about it, right? The, the 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 laws of attraction. But that's how shit goes down, you know. If you're if you're excited about something, and you and you go all the way with it, um. And then you let people know to 
whatever degree you can that it exists and that you are excited about it, there's a lot better chance. It's not, there's no guarantees in anything, but there's a lot better chance that that energy is going to come back to you in some way. Usually it's an unpredictable way. Usually it's not the way that you would have dreamt of it, but there's a lot better chance that it's going to start making its way back to you and, and expanding, you know, but you just got to do the shit. And for, for so long, I, I wasn't doing it, you know, cause I, if I'm honest, I was complacent, you know, granddaddy got pretty successful, relatively speaking, when I was 23 years old, you know, and, and then I joined Modest Mouse, which was, which was an already successful band. And so it's not that I didn't work hard in those things, but, you know, I also just coming to the realization that like, man, this shit is fun. You're so lucky to get to do this. Go do it. He's completely right. Just keep creating. Get it done. Keep doing it. Do not stop. Check out Small Isles on Instagram. The handle is Small Isles Picture Music. That's Isles, I-S-L-E-S, just in case you were thinking of the other one. Don't think of the other one. That's a whole different thing. Small Isles Picture Music is the handle on Instagram. My handle on Instagram is at Ember's Podcast or on Twitter, what's left of it, at Ember's Editor or just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Don't forget to check out BombshellRadio.com to find out what makes our radio station tick. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate, and review, and tell all your friends. We would certainly appreciate it. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Sure I'm Happy by Small Isles. Enjoy it, and thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio.